Good morning, everyone. Have you all noticed that on those moments whenever the song, the last song, is really strong and powerful and exciting, and all of a sudden the bumper comes in nice and calm? And those other times whenever the song is one of those that is like incredibly calm, all of a sudden the bumper wakes everybody up in the morning? We just try to switch it up, make sure everybody's paying attention out there. Anyway, I just want to let you all know, we are blessed, unbelievably blessed. Amen. Week after week, we get a chance to be led before the throne of God in worship. Worship that is done exceptionally, exceptionally well. Not only in the skill set of those who are singing and leading and playing, but their hearts for worship. It's incredible. Don't ever get used to having incredible worship. It's something to be grateful for. So we start week number three of our wonder series with a question. How would the Bible change? How would it be different if the word love were removed from the Bible? How would the Bible be different if the word love were removed from the Bible? If the word love were removed from the Bible, there would be no John 3.16 because it speaks of God's love for the world. If love were removed from the Bible, there would be no great commandment over in Matthew chapter 22 that is teaching us to love God and to love people. If the word love were removed, it would take away one of the greatest descriptions of love found anywhere in literature. It's one that's often quoted in weddings. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It tells us love is patient and love is kind. Love is not boastful, it does not seek its own, etc. If love were removed from the Bible, there would be nothing to keep our motives in check, 1 Corinthians 13, nothing to cover a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8, and nothing that would distinguish us as followers of Jesus Christ, John chapter 13. Love is far more than just an emotion. In fact, for the believer, love is crisscrossing every part of a person's life. Just as a sampling of what I'm describing, these are just some of the ways that the Bible describes love as it is at work in the believer's life. Love, it directs our attention and our affection to the heart of God, Matthew 22. It's the fulfillment of the law of God, Romans 13. It's the greatest of the enduring virtues, 1 Corinthians 13. It is the prerequisite for obeying God, John 14. It's the way that we bear with one another, Ephesians chapter 4. It is essential in the marriage covenant, Ephesians 5. It binds us together in unity, Colossians 3. It's how we define true friendship, Proverbs 17. It's the character of God, 1 John chapter 4. It eternally binds us to Christ, Romans 8. It helps us know that we know God, 1 John chapter 4. It casts out fear, 1 John 4. Like you name it, it just keeps going. Love is found constantly in Scripture. It crisscrosses the believer's life. If love were removed from the Bible, our lives would be drastically different. Now let me take it just a step further. If Jesus was never born, our understanding of love would be drastically different. 
It is because he came. It is through his ministry. It is by his teachings. It is in his death and resurrection that we understand love the way that we do today. So today we're studying the second of our four words that are most often used when describing Christmas. Those four words are peace, love, joy, as well as hope. In each of these words, it describes one of the deepest needs of humanity. If you were to remove any of these four words, a person's outlook on life will plummet immediately. If you restore any of these four words, their outlook on life immediately is elevated. Christmas is an amazing time of the year because all four words are front and center in media, on Christmas cards, through marketing, within culture. Everywhere you look, it's going back to these four particular words that all find their fulfillment ultimately in Christ. So we're exploring each of these different words by asking three questions of each one as it relates to Christmas. The questions are, what was expected, what was revealed, Why does it matter? That is, through the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, what was expected prior to Christ's birth? Based upon the life and the teachings and the ministry of Jesus, what was revealed by Christ's birth? And ultimately, for you and I living in 2021 today, as Christians, if you move past redemption, past the salvific part of Christ's coming, and ask the question, why does it matter that Jesus was born? That's what we've been getting into with each of the different words. Last week, we addressed peace, and today, we get into this idea of love. I want you to know, know, know by the time this message is done, that love is fully released because Jesus came. We would have no framework to understand the depth of love apart from Christ's coming. So, that being said, we're going to pray in just a moment But before we get into that, I want to talk about two quick pieces of love. Call it a commercial break. Call it a timeout for just a moment. I I want you to see love in action. I just received this letter from this last week. This came from the Lord's Pantry. It was actually addressed to Dr. D. And then I got it in my office and I was thinking, well, maybe they sent it to the wrong one. But it did say at the bottom, copy this to Paul Gotthard. So praise the Lord. I'm not reading your mail, Dr. D. But listen to what this said. Dear Brian, thank you and the Sherwood Christian family for the great turkey race food drive you conducted for the Lord's Pantry in November. Our volunteers worked hard throughout the year to provide free food to the poor in southwest Georgia. In 2021 so far, we've provided groceries for over 4,000 needy individuals while dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. We could not have accomplished the mission of this ministry without the, here it is, loving support of Christians like your SCA family and students. Again, thank the students for donating 2,040 food items and generous financial donation of $1,871 during the Great Turkey Race. Your gifts go a long way towards helping provide for those in need during the Thanksgiving and Christmas celebrations. Amen. Amen. Here's the reason I wanted to bring that to your attention. If you're talking about love, we need to be able to look out and say, here's tangible ways that we're living out love. If we say we're all about loving God and loving people and we're never loving people well, something's wrong with that. 
So if you're looking for an opportunity, you're saying, Paul, I didn't get a chance to get on the food drive. Listen, let me give you an opportunity tonight. <laughs> tonight. And here's what I mean. Tonight, we're going to do a carol sing. Be here at 5 o'clock tonight. There's going to be some that we're singing here. But then we're going to be going out into a community that many times for two years people have been looking for joy. We're going to be going into assisted living homes, into nursing homes, going by to some of the shut-ins, going by different family groups just to go out and just sing and love on people. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that one amen. I'll take it. (laughs) Here's my point. We're talking about love. It should be manifested in how we live our everyday life. That being said, let's go to God in prayer as we dig in. We're going to go through various texts this morning But I'm teaching today on the subject of love. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. We ask God, would you settle our hearts in on what this concept of love is all about? God, help us to not just see it as an emotion, as a feeling. But God, may love be lived out through every part of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So as I shared a couple of weeks ago, the same four words that we associate with Christmas today, peace, love, joy, hope, are the same four words that the Old Testament saints associated with Messiah's arrival prior to the birth of Christ. So we look back with appreciation. They looked forward with expectation. Now, prior to Jesus' birth, the word love was associated with Messiah's arrival. The question is why? Why did they associate love in Messiah? That's the first of our three questions. What was expected? So here's just a little bit of preliminary information. That is, in our introductory message on this, I shared that every prophecy of Messiah was a reminder of God's great love for Israel. That is, Israel is described as the apple of God's eyes, Zechariah 2.8. In Jeremiah 31.3, God says to Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 5, Scripture tells us that God turned curses into blessings because of his love for Israel. So if you were to just pause and look at that, each of those prophetic passages, it speaks of God's great love, the depth of his love, the impact of his love, the completeness of his love for the nation of Israel. That's a general description of why love was associated with Messiah's arrival. But I want to go beyond general, and I want us to land into specific for just a moment. I'm going to have to put on your thinking cap today. How many of you had your parents tell you to put on your thinking cap at some point along the way? How many of you could not find your thinking cap if you needed to at this point in the year? All right, well, just, you know, ponder, meditate upon, think through, noodle it all around in your head. Here's what we're doing. I want you to think about Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. I believe it's in your notes. Listen to what this text says. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, somebody might say, Paul, that says nothing about Christmas whatsoever. Nothing about the birth of a child, nothing about any of those things. Here's my reason for bringing that up. That particular verse has been at the center of controversy for thousands of years. Here's what the controversy is centering on. Is it or is it not a messianic prophecy? 
So the context, and we always go back to context. The context speaks of the relationship between God and the nation of Israel. God loves the nation of Israel. I just covered that for just a moment in the the general teaching on this. As a result of his incredible love, he rescued them from slavery in Egypt, and he brought them into the promised land. The analogy that you find in Hosea chapter 11 is that of God as father and the nation of Israel as son. So listen again to the verse. When Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. God is father, Israel's son in this analogy. Now, for some, it is simply a reminder of God's incredible love for the nation of Israel. For others, it is a description of Messiah's ultimate deliverance. That is, God delivered them once through Moses, God will deliver them ultimately through Messiah. Now, to add a little bit of nuance, a little intrigue into the story, if you would like, it's also important to know that the name Moses is translated as drawn out of water, saved out of water, delivered, or savior. Are you starting to see the connection that some people are making? Seeing Moses as a foreshadowing of what would come through Christ. So here's our question. Does Hosea chapter 11 verse 1, does it hold a messianic prophecy? Well, that leads into our next one. What was expected, what was revealed. Does a New Testament writer of any kind, does any New Testament writer connect Hosea chapter 11 with Jesus' birth? The answer is yes. So here's the general place. You can turn over there if you would like. Matthew chapter 2. I'll tell you what's going on in the story, but since all of you have already read the Christmas story at least 10, 15 times in the month of December, just getting yourselves ready for Christmas, I'm just going to hit the highlights of this right now. So Matthew chapter 2 we find the story of the Magi, the wise men, as they're following the star of Bethlehem while searching for Messiah. They go to King Herod, and they ask him the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, it is my guess that on that morning when Herod woke up, he thought that was him. Think about that for a moment. They stand before the king, and they say, can you point us to the king? He's like, I'm right here. Well, no, 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 no. The king of the Jews. Oh, no, I'm still right here. No, no, silly, you're missing what I'm saying. We're talking about the one who was born Messiah. Now, afterwards, his own wise men tell him that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Now, this is just one of those leadership moments for me. But I wonder if after the other wise men left, if he pulled his wise men off to the side and said, hey, guys, I'd have liked to have known that before that last meeting right there. That could have been a lot less awkward had you all shared that information with me. So he tells the Magi, the original group, to go and to find Messiah, tell him where he's located so that he can go and worship as well. Well, the Magi go, they found Jesus, they worshiped Jesus, they left their gifts, but they were warned by God in a dream that they were not to return the same way back through King Herod. Instead, they departed to their own country on a different route. So now Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. This is what happens next in that story. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. Listen to this statement. 
This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. That's your connection back to Hosea chapter 11. And by the way, do not miss for a moment that it said this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. When you read scripture, it is not man's writings. It is the word of God himself. It's spoken by the Lord through the prophets. So your connection is now been clear. This is to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. God's deliverance through Moses is a foreshadowing of God's ultimate deliverance that will come with Messiah. Jesus is completing the mission that Moses began. So this loving call of God's son, referred to as Israel, Hosea 11, that began in Egypt, it's finding its completion in the coming of Christ mentioned over in Matthew chapter 2. What was expected, what was revealed, now here's the next one. Why does it matter? How does Christ's birth being connected back to love? And why does that connection matter for any of us today? Now, I understand if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you recognize the importance of a passage like John 3.16. You recognize that it's because of his great love for us that Christ came, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that we have an opportunity at salvation. But if you go beyond the salvific sense of the idea of Christ coming, how does Jesus' coming, how does his birth, and specifically as it's connected to love, how does it impact any part of our life to this day? Well, first, I want to give you our key truth. That is, Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's love. How we recognize love, what we define as love, and for that matter, how we want to be loved is a reality only because Christ came. So here's several statements that we pull that out in. Uh, first of those is we can experience God's unconditional love because Jesus was born. Now, people want to know that there is no limits to God's love. They want to know that when they mess up, God doesn't give up on them. They want to know that their sin is no match for the depth and the impact of God's love. And that's exactly what you will find over in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love. He acted upon those claims of love. You've heard it said before, talk is cheap. This is one of those areas where God demonstrated his love for us. He didn't just state it, he demonstrated his love. He didn't write it in a card, he wrote it in his own blood. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than one laid down his life for his friends. We can experience God's unconditional love because Jesus came. Now, I don't care who you are, that's good news. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how long you've been in it, it doesn't matter where you grew up, it doesn't matter the family you came from, that is good news when you understand that God knows who you are and where you are and what you need the most, and he loves you in spite of sin. Amen. Next one, we have an example of love in marriage 
because Jesus was born. So when God created everything, he said it was good. But you'll notice it wasn't until Adam and Eve are joined together in marriage that he says, it's very good. In other words, thank you. I appreciate that, Bria. That would have been embarrassing had she been quiet at that particular moment right there. Amen. The implication is having a companion in life. Marriage is a wonderful thing. A part of that is we, we've been created the image of God, so there's a relational part of how God has made us to be. But what we find here is that God helps us understand what love is to look like in marriage through Christ. Had he not been born, we would not have that particular example. So here's the thing. Left to ourselves, we will twist love to fit our own selfish desires. There's a lot that's said in culture today of that's not being loving or that Christian needs to love somebody. The question is, well, what does that look like? Because one person's view of love might be very different than another person's view of love. But if you want to know what it ultimately looks like to love someone well, look to the example of Christ. And if you want to understand what that looks like in the marriage relationship, here's what we find according to what is found in Scripture. It tells us Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Six verses later, he connects it back to the initial wedding ceremony in the Garden of Eden. So the beauty behind this is if we want to understand love, we have an example that has been set by Christ. Love is not trying to get everything we can from the relationship. Love is giving all we have to the relationship. Love is putting the other person's needs above our own. Love does what is right, even if it's hurting and it's inconvenient. Love is not flowery words. It's not just poetry. It's not just saying the right things. Love is serving your spouse and helping them to become all that God created them to be. When you look at how Jesus loved the church, you see that demonstrated before us. Here's the next one. We can be a conduit of God's love to others because Jesus was born. Now, that idea of a conduit means that God's love can flow through us to others. Here's your reference there. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus tells us, love each other. It's just that simple. Easy peasy. Just love each other. Now, if you were here last week, you'll remember I brought up the fact there's some mean people in this world. Amen. Here's some people. It's hard to love. Have you ever been stuck somewhere kind of on the spectrum between loving the person and kicking them in the teeth? And, and, and you're leaning towards the opposite end of the spectrum. Now, if you've been there before, I've personally not ever been there, but Bria tells me what that's like. <laughs> 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 
You all know that is a lie, that is a lie, that is a lie. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm making sure you all are paying attention. Listen, if you've ever struggled to love someone well, here's good news for you. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. By this, the love of God was, watch this, was manifested in us. Manifested in us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. How was that love manifested in us? Because he sent his only begotten son into the world. Because Christ was born. Because Jesus came. The love of God is manifested in us. God is not asking us to generate a love that we are incapable of expressing. He wants to manifest his love through us. It's not you drumming it up. It's him living it through you. Now, if you need another passage for that, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. In other words, as you're filled with the Spirit of God, as the Spirit of God is manifesting himself through your life, here's what he lives. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, right on down the line. By the way, did you notice that the first three words of the fruit of the Spirit are three out of our four words associated with Christmas? Love, joy, peace. When God's living his life in and through us, this is the natural outflow that comes from our lives. Love is bigger than just our emotions. I started with numerous examples in the introduction of what love actually brings, but I want to finish with a couple of the ones that sometimes we don't necessarily associate as a love conversation. So here's the first. God's love enables us to overcome fear and timidity. When was the last time you heard somebody sit down, they're, they're battling with fear, and the person who is talking to them says, I want you to meditate upon and think about God's love in your life right now. Oftentimes we tell that individual, hey, just, just keep faking it till you make it. Just kind of keep working it out. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It'll be okay. As opposed to saying what you need to think about is how much God loves you. Amen. Second, Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Next one, God's love enables us to walk in love as an offering and a sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Your life being lived, being expressed, it is an offering to God. It is, it is a sacrifice to God as it's being expressed through love. God's love enables us to be better neighbors. Listen to this, Romans 13.10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. It should be that the moment you move into a neighborhood and they find out that you're a Christian, it should set their heart at ease. They're going to be good people. They're going to do what's right in this neighborhood. Here's one. God's love enables us to walk in obedience. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. <laughs> it's the crazy thing about that. 
Did you know that most of the time when we read that verse, we read it as a challenge to prove our love? So we say, God, to prove to you that I love you, I'm going to obey. And here's what happens. You fail. And you're like, all right, God, scratch that last attempt. We're going to try that again. To prove to you how much I love you, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what you say. Here's the beauty behind this. We do not obey to prove our love. We love God, and it's manifested in our obedience. Listen to it again from God's perspective. If you love me, if you're, if you're in a love relationship with me, if that love is flourishing, you will keep my commandments. It's a love issue. Here's the next one. God's love enables us to experience and display the quiet graces. If there's ever something that is missing in our culture today, it's a celebration of the quiet graces. Ephesians 4.2, in humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another. How's it happen? In love. Colossians 3.12 through 14, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is like the glue that is holding all of that together. And the final part there is God's love enables us to experience security, boldness, contentment, and peace in the face of uncertainty. Okay. One of the passages that's mentioned many, many times whenever people are going through difficult times is people go back over into Romans and they talk about the fact that God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's one of those great passages. It's a reminder of the fact that Regardless of what you're walking through, God can still work it together. But I want you to listen for just a moment to Romans chapter 8, verse 35 through 39. Paul starts with, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Beep, 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 beep. Back up the truck. Did you, did you just hear it? Who will separate us? from the love of Christ. In other words, people who know that they are loved unconditionally, eternally, and completely, they go through challenges different than those who do not know Christ. Their value and their worth are not in question. Their security is not on the line. They're, they're not afraid of that the circumstances are somehow going to disrupt their position. They, they go through it differently. So the Apostle Paul starts with a bold question. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? But all of these things, here it is, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. How do you conquer? It's because of him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in, here it is, Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in Messiah our Lord, in Christ our Lord. How do you have that type of love? It comes through him. Because he was born, because he demonstrated love and modeled love and defined love, because he loved us when we were unlovable, because he demonstrated his love, not just through words but in actions, one of the deepest needs of humanity has been met because of him. It's great to be loved by people. Nice to be loved by people. But if we're going to be honest... The love that comes through people can be fickle at times. Sometimes people will love you just as long as you do what they want you to do or meet a standard that they want you to meet. But when you know, when you know that you are completely and unconditionally loved by the creator of this universe, it changes how you walk through difficult times. There's a boldness that you have. There's a security that you have. There's a contentment. There's a peace that you have regardless of circumstances. My question is, have you ever been changed by that type of love? Have you ever experienced God's love, that God's extravagant love for you through Christ? If not, let today be that day. Let let now be that time. I, I don't know who might need to hear this. But I wrote it down this last week, and the further I've studied the message, the more there was one piece that just kept coming back. Share this, share this, share this. So here it is. I don't know who you might be, but somebody needs to hear this. God loves you this morning. He loves you. You might have been told that you were unlovable. You might have been told that you were an accident or a mistake. God tells a different story. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loved you so much, he gave his son for you. The enemy may be whispering into your ear right now and saying, you sinned so much, God would never want you. God tells a different story. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is bigger than your sins. You may be telling yourself, I missed my opportunity. I've been living away from God for too long. God tells a different story. Romans 10, verse 13, it says, Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you have breath in your body, if you have a desire in your heart to be reconciled to your God, call on his name today and he'll save you. He will redeem you. He will love you. If you've never encountered that love, don't miss the reason that Christ came. Christmas is about far more than gifts and trees in Santa Claus. It's a reminder of the fact that from eternity past, you've been on the heart of God. And when our sin interfered with that relationship, God did what we could not do to make things right. Our good works would not be enough. 
Going to church, not enough. Being a Baptist, definitely not enough. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. He lived a sinless life. The Bible tells us that when he died on the cross, he was dying what's referred to as a substitutionary death. He was not dying for his sins. He was dying for our sins. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, separation. Our sins had separated us from God on the cross. The sins of the world are placed upon him. He experienced for us so that we could now have unity with God, reconciled to God, be at one with God, be in relationship with God. But here's the thing. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. But a dead Savior cannot help you. Three days later, he rose from the dead that we might have life. And by the way, if you read the accounts, here's the crazy thing. He called it before it happened. He told him, I'm going to die. Three days later, I'm going to come back. That is like a guy stepping up to the plate and pointing over and saying, it's about to be a home run and slapping it out of the park and walking around the bases. He called it before it happened so that when it happened... We would have faith in him. Here's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the family situation you grew up in. It doesn't matter if you were in foster care. It doesn't matter if you never got adopted. It doesn't matter if you got like one friend and his name is Jesus. All I can say is, here's the beauty behind the gospel message. He came for you. He came for you. Don't. Don't walk away from that type of love when there's a world out there who is yet to hear that Christ loves them. You've heard. You know. So my question is, have you experienced the incredible love of God that's found in Christ? If not, make today that day. (laughs) Nail it down today. I'm going to ask you if you would join me in prayer. For those of you who are followers of Christ, I'm going to ask you right now, be praying at this time that the enemy does not distract minds away from the gravity of this moment. There, there is a battle that is looming right now. There, there, is, there are people who are teetering on the edge of eternity at this point, and the question becomes, will they respond in faith to the message of Jesus Christ? And when someone does... God radically changes a life. If you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you if you would right now begin praying for those in this room who maybe this is the first time they've ever heard it. Might be the 30th time that they've ever heard it. But they keep saying no, they keep saying no, they keep saying no, and time just keeps ticking away. We never know when God's going to say It's enough. We never know when eternity might be the peace that we step into. So at this time, for those of you who do not know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I want to lead in a very simple prayer. The prayer does not save someone. Jesus has done everything necessary for a person to be saved. In prayer, we're simply responding in faith 
to what Christ has done for us. If you desire to know that God will forgive you of your sins and give you eternal life and a right relationship, I'm going to lead in a very simple prayer. It's between you and God. It's simply this. God, I know that I have sinned. I know that my sin has separated me from you. I know there's nothing that I could do to make things right. I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he rose from the dead on the third day that I might have life. God, as best I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sin and give me eternal life. Would you save me? With heads bowed, eyes still closed, there might be some people in the room right now who you just prayed that God would save you. I'm going to ask you to do something courageous. Wherever you might be for just a moment, if you just prayed with me, would you lift your hand wherever you might be for just a moment? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all around this room again. Thank you. You may put them down. In just a moment, there's going to be pastors that are down front. There's going to be opportunities for people to be able to find out what the next step of walking with Jesus is supposed to be like. So we're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And if today, if you've prayed to receive Christ, I encourage you, take another step of courage and come talk to one of the pastors. If that's maybe too big of a step for right now, then right afterwards, Pastor Ken is going to share how it is that you can talk with somebody right out in the, in the lobby in just a moment. But there might be some people that just say, I need to talk to somebody now. There might be people in this room that they just say, I need prayer now. There might be some people in the room that, that you've been struggling and you don't feel like anybody loves you and you're even starting to question the love of God and you just need to know that there's a group who loves you. All I can say is, whatever's on your heart, however the Spirit of God is leading, would you respond to Him? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that you would continue to do your work in this place. God, thank you for those who continue to come to know you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing?